At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Palm Sunday to you. Uh, if you don't know me or we have not met, you're just joining us online. My name is Kurt McDonald. I have the great privilege of being one of the pastors here at the church. And it's my honor this morning to bring to you God's holy, inspired, and an errant word. May he add his blessing to it. Well, happy Palm Sunday to you, Gospel Community Church. I'm excited this morning that we get to celebrate Palm Sunday together some 2,000 years ago, the Sunday before Jesus resurrected from the grave, there was a massive crowd that was singing praises to Jesus. They were shouting Hosanna. They were saying that he was their king. And in response, Jesus mounts a small colt, a donkey, and he rides into Jerusalem preparing uh, to celebrate Passover with uh, his followers. If you're taking notes, Palm Sunday is the day where Jesus publicly presented himself to his people as their king, and the people responded with praise and waving of palm branches. This, this account of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on this colt is recorded in all four of the gospel accounts showing how important this one scene in the life and ministry of Jesus is. So, so why celebrate such a day? Why celebrate Palm Sunday. Well, we celebrate Palm Sunday because it was the first official step on his way to the cross. This is why we are excited about Jesus mounting a small colt and riding into Jerusalem because it was the first public step in, in his proclamation that he was king on his way to the cross where he died for our sins in our place, taking onto himself the wrath of God, taking onto himself our sin, our iniquity, and cleansing us with his blood. It was the first step as he rides into Jerusalem on his way to the cross. And after the cross, he doesn't stay in the grave. Amen. So, so after he rides into Jerusalem, he goes to the cross from the cross to the grave, but then he resurrects from the grave. After he resurrected from the grave, he stayed with his disciples for 40 days, teaching them from the word of God, showing them that everything that was written in the word of God was about him. That, that's not all. I'm not done. Then he ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the father, ruling and reigning over all of the entire universe. And as he sits in, in heaven, he sends his whole Holy Spirit. That, that's what he does next. So he rides in Jerusalem. He goes to the cross. He goes to the grave. He resurrects from the grave. He ascends into heaven, and then he sends his Holy Spirit to indwell his followers. You see, before he, before he ascended into heaven, before he died on the cross, the Holy Spirit could only rest on someone for a moment. He could not indwell, but because of the cleansing power of Jesus' blood and because of the power of the gospel on the cross, now the Holy Spirit can indwell, can indwell the followers of Jesus Christ. And because the followers of Jesus Christ were indwelt with the Holy Spirit, they, they began to proclaim the gospel and it ushered in the church age. And you see, those churches then went on to plant churches and those churches planted churches and the gospel moved out from Jerusalem, out into the known world. And link by link, we are sitting here today proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ because he rode into Jerusalem on that donkey. So that, that's why we are celebrating Palm Sunday today. Here's another way to say it. Palm 
Sunday is the first step on Jesus' public journey to the cross for our salvation, leading to his resurrection and the promise that he will return again. By a show of hands, who has ever celebrated Palm Sunday before? Okay, a few of us. Keep your hands up if actual palm branches were involved. Okay, the ushers in the back are going to bring in the palm branch. I'm just kidding. Yeah, we don't even have ushers. We, we call them guest services, so y'all know I'm just playing. Now, on the surface, as you read this text, and, and let me just go ahead and tell you, you need to get this text in front of you, get John 12 in front of you. You're also going to be jumping back and forth between John and Luke, looking at these two accounts. But on the surface, as you, as you read this account, it sounds really good. It sounds like the crowd is finally figuring it out. It seems like Jesus is finally getting the praise, the acclamation that he deserves. You are talking about a whole bunch of people. We're going to get into that in a minute. But this massive crowd, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he. I mean, they, they are going crazy over Jesus. Yet there's something underneath the surface. There's something dark. Because the same people, some of the same people that are shouting Hosanna, proclaiming Jesus as king, will be the exact same ones who are yelling crucify him. And, and, and so as, as we look at this account, that, that must put us at pause. That, 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 must, that must bring us to this place where we go, what, what's going on here? How do, how do they shift gears from proclaiming that he is king, from, from proclaiming Hosanna to yelling crucify him? Well, he, here it is, and, and it's actually the main point of my sermon today. The problem is they were not prepared for their vision of how things should go to be overshadowed. They were not prepared for their vision of how things should go to be overshadowed. So here's my main point, my one point. My main point today is this. Be prepared for your vision of how things should go to be overshadowed by the one who makes a better plan. Now, now I'm going to do some confession time up here because I'm terrible at this. Listen, y'all that know me personally, you know that I have a backup plan for my backup plan. That, that's how I roll in life. I, I like to be prepared. I like to think in advance. I like to have a plan for things. I like to set my mind on a point and, and push and work and go towards that one thing, that goal. I'm goal-oriented. I like task lists. I'm goal-oriented. That, that's how my brain works. And so even just saying a statement like this out loud makes me feel conviction because I know I'm terrible at it. Now, if, if you're looking for a church where the pastor's got it together, you're in the wrong church because I'm saying this to you and I'm preaching to myself this morning. Amen. Can I preach to myself? Be, because there are so many things in life that God has said no to, yet I'm still hanging on to. I'm by myself. There's so many things in life that God has said no to, yet I'm still hanging on to. And I know, I know. See, usually at this point in the sermon, I'll say something like, I know I'm the only one in the room, but that's not true. I know I'm not the only one in the room because I know there are people in this room right now, this morning, that are trying to hang on to things that God has said no to. 
And what we need to do is to be prepared as, as we are making plans. And, and, and listen, I'm not saying don't be goal-oriented. I'm not saying don't have a vision of what your life should be in your mind. I'm not saying don't have a vision of what your marriage should be. I'm not saying don't have a vision of, of how your kids should grow up and who they should be as they grow. I'm not saying don't have a vision for that. What I'm saying is be prepared for God to overshadow that vision because he makes a better plan. We might not like his plan. We might be irritated at his plan. We might get mad at his plan, but it's a better plan because he's sovereign God. So I know some of us in here this morning are feeling like my life was not supposed to turn out this way. But God has a better plan. You're feeling like my marriage was not supposed to turn out this way. My son was not supposed to turn out this way. My daughter was not supposed to turn out this way. My job situation was not supposed to turn out this way. Listen to me. God has a better plan. As Jesus rides into Jerusalem, they have a plan for him. Imagine that statement. They have a plan for Jesus about what Jesus should do and what Jesus should say and how he should act. And they're giving him praise on the basis of him doing for them what they want him to do. And so we find ourselves looking at this text, seeing ourselves in the crowd. That's what John wants us to do. John wants us to see ourselves in the crowd. And what we must do, church family, is be ready for the Spirit of God to take you somewhere where you might not want to go. We need to be ready and flexible and willing to say whatever it is, yes, Lord, I will go. Yes, Lord, I will go, even though that's not my vision. That's not what I wanted to do. We need to get to this text this morning, John chapter 12. I'm starting in verse 12. The next day, let's stop right there. <laughs> the next day after what? Well, here's what has happened. Uh, Jesus um, goes to his friend's funeral and, and is not real pumped up about the situation, so he decides to bring him back to life. He raises Lazarus from the dead, and in response, uh, what they do is they throw him a banquet. They throw him a party, uh, a dinner, to, you know, the least they could do, right? Say, thank you, Jesus, for bringing me back to life. Lazarus is there. Jesus is there. Mary and Martha are there. And what happens is a word gets out. And so they're at this big dinner party, and all of these people are like, oh, he brought somebody back to life. And they're chilling in that crib right over there. And so all these people start gathering up and they go over and the crowd in Bethany begins to grow at this dinner party. And, and then they, they have to make their way to Jerusalem to go to the Passover. So this big entourage, this big party that had gathered not only to see Jesus, but to see Lazarus, this dude that came back to life, they start making their way to Jerusalem the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now, they're going to celebrate Passover. You guys know all about that. I won't spend time talking about that, but I do want to talk about this large crowd. The Jewish historian Josephus recorded that there was 2.7 million Jews that would have been attending the Passover feast in Jerusalem in the first century. 2.7 million. That's a whole lot of folks. Now, now, there are other historians that say, well, that number's inaccurate. It's way too many. Okay, fine. Let's just say a million, okay? A million people, right, are, are moving into Jerusalem, are crowding this small city to celebrate 
Passover. That's, that's what's going on. So, so again, get the picture in your mind. Jesus has been in Bethany. It's about two miles away from Jerusalem. There's this huge crowd that had gathered at the dinner party thrown for, thrown for Jesus because of Lazarus. They start making their, their, this two-mile journey from Bethany into Jerusalem. And there's a massive crowd following him. Why? Well, because Jesus is famous at this point. Word is out. Word's out about Jesus. And so now all these people are gathering. In addition, they're not only uh, excited to see Jesus, this miracle worker, but they're kind of showing up to see what's going to happen. If if, if you've got got your Bible, look over at uh, chapter uh, 11, verse 57, says this, Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, that he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So some folks are just showing up to see if he's actually going to show up in Jerusalem. Because if he shows up in Jerusalem, they know he's going to get arrested. They're, they're just there for the show, right? So he's super famous. He's super famous, and they're just showing up to see what might happen. Verse 13, so they took palm, uh, branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. They hear Jesus is coming. Their first reaction, palm branches. Got to get the palm branches. Why? What's, what's the deal with the palm branches? Well, I'm about to do some deep dive history on y'all, so y'all just hang on now. So what's happening with the palm branches? Well, in 167 BC, the Jewish people were under the rule of the Syrian king Antiochus Epiphanes, who outlawed all worship to the Hebrew God of the Bible and killed lots of Jews and enslaved them. So this began what is known as the Maccabean Revolt. Y'all, all y'all know about the Maccabean Revolt. Now, here's what happened. Basically, <clears throat> Judas Maccabeus... And his brother Simon are the leaders of this, uh, of this rebellion against Syria. Are y'all with me? So what they do is they drive the Syrian army out of Jerusalem. They retake the temple. And as these, the, these brothers, Simon and Judas Maccabeus, are coming back in, they throw them a parade waving, you guessed it, palm branches. In addition, as, uh, as, as the Israelites are being overtaken by Rome, there are a bunch of different insurrections. And so as those insurrections are happening, the Jewish people are making their own coins. And guess what they put on the coins? Palm branch, a palm branch. So if you're taking notes, for a first century Jew, a palm branch was not only a symbol of national pride, but also a symbol of liberation and freedom. So as Jesus is, is making his way into Jerusalem on one of the most important holidays, Passover, for, for all of Israel, they make this sign, this symbol, this gesture with the palm branches as a symbol of national pride and freedom. Do you see, do you see what they are? They're calling Jesus to action. They have a vision for what Jesus should do. They are, uh, in the language of our own day, they are asking Jesus to make Israel great again. (laughs) They they are asking Jesus to build back better. That's what they are asking Jesus to do. They, They want him to ride in and go to the Roman government, destroy them, drive them out of Israel so Israel can be its own nation. This is their vision for him. This is their plan for him. And they are willing to praise him, to sing his name to the heavens, to lay down palm branches on their cloaks and do whatever it takes as long as he will get on their agenda. That's what they want Jesus to do. Listen to what they, they, they say as they rush out with the palm branches, crying out, Hosanna. 
know what that means? Hosanna means give salvation now. Hosanna, give salvation now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Now, here's what's interesting about that. What they're doing is they're quoting from Psalm 118. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's Psalm 118. What's interesting is what they tag on the end, it ain't in the psalm. They tag on even the king of Israel. They want him to overthrow the government, and they are ready and willing to praise him as long as he does that. This is their vision for him. Here's the problem, church family. Their vision was too small. Their vision was too small. Their vision was too insignificant. It didn't matter. So what if he marches in and sets up an eternal kingdom? You know what that means, church family? It means he never goes to the cross. It means he never resurrects from the grave. It means he never ascends into heaven. It means he never sends his Holy Spirit. It means the church age is never ushered in and we are not sitting here praising the risen Christ. That, that's what's at stake here. They're, they're dying for Jesus to do this thing, which is absolutely insignificant. That's me, church family. I do that all the time. I'm begging, asking, come on, God, you got to do this thing. This is my plan. This is my vision. I know this thing is going to work. And God says, no, I've got something better. I've got something bigger. I've got something more important for your life than this little thing that you're focused on. And so this is what they're dying for him to do. If you're taking notes, the problem with many Christians face is we are asking God to fix our problems right now without considering how this momentary suffering might have impact in eternity. We want God to fix our issues right now. God, you see this problem right here? You see this suffering I'm experiencing? You see this pain I'm going through? You need to fix it right now. And God says, no, 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 I'm, I'm asking you to walk through this. I'm gonna walk through it with you, but I'm asking you to walk through this because I've got a plan for your suffering. I'm, I'm gonna take that suffering and I'm gonna turn it into glory. I'm gonna take this thing that's painful. I'm gonna make it something beautiful. I'm gonna take this thing that's broken in your life and I'm gonna fix it and put it back together and it's gonna be way better than you ever imagined. Just trust me. That's what God's saying to us this morning. So, can you see the picture now? The large crowd from Bethany follows him, singing his praises, telling of all that he has done. The, the crowd grows and grows and grows as they make their way into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Just, I mean, just imagine that, that thousands, hundreds of thousands of people shouting, chanting, palm branches. They're, they're laying their cloaks down. It's, it's this massive spectacle. And here's how Jesus responds to hundreds of thousands of people chanting his name, calling him king. Listen to this. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. <laughs> what? No, 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 no. Hang on. Let's, let, let's make this story correct. And Jesus found... A brilliant stallion, the most expensive in all of the land of Israel, and mounted the stallion with a sword and rode into Jerusalem. The, the text says, and Jesus found. Now, <clears throat> John doesn't uh, help us here much. Jesus found this donkey by way of sending his disciples to get it. He found it, but he sent his disciples to get it. Uh, the gospel, Dr. Luke, is 
It's helpful to us in this. Look at Luke 19, 30 through 31. Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say the Lord has need of it. Imagine going out in the parking lot right now, somebody getting in your ride. The Lord has need. No, you get up out of my ride. So, so, they, so they go and they, so this is obviously divine appointment. Jesus knew what was going on. Jesus knew maybe this was a follower of Jesus that he had prearranged. Maybe it's divine appointment. In any event, Jesus planned to do this. Jesus planned not to mount the war horse not to, not to come in astride the, the brilliant stallion with the sword. He pre-planned in advance to fulfill this prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. This is why the verse goes on to say, just as it is written, quoting from the Old Testament, Zechariah 9.9, Fear not, daughter of Zion, that is the people of Israel, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. If you're taking notes, Jesus is making a clear statement by riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. He is rejecting their vision of him as king while simultaneously affirming that he is king by fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. They're shouting, king, king. And he goes, yes, but not the way you think. I, I am king of Israel. I'm king of the universe, but I'm not the type of king that you want me to be. There, there are so many of us church family that try to mold Jesus into what we want him to be. We, we try to take the, this powerful, sovereign, just Jesus and, and make him a sweet grandpa who's fine with whatever you do. And, that, and that's not the picture of Christ. We cannot reject the biblical picture of Christ and put in that picture anything that we want to. It doesn't work that way. Jesus will not allow you to do that. He will insist on his own way. And church family, his own way is way better than ours. By riding into Jerusalem on a colt, he is saying to them, I have not come to save this nation. I've come to save all the nations. He, he's saying, I'm not here to overthrow Rome, which, uh, side note in history, he does overthrow Rome because uh, years, years later, uh, Christianity becomes the official religion of all of Rome. So, so he does uh, overthrow Rome. Uh, as a matter of fact, Rome tried to crush Christianity, and where is Rome now? Uh, you, you can go visit the rubble of what it used to be, and here we are, church family, praising the name of Jesus today. Um, so, so what Jesus is doing is rejecting their vision of him as king, yet still insisting that he is king. He is saying to them, I have not come to set up a temporary kingdom here in Jerusalem. I have come to set up a forever kingdom made up of all nations, all peoples, all tribes, all tongues. This is what Jesus is saying. In the midst of all this praise, Jesus shows where his heart really is. Again, I want you to picture this in your mind. As Jesus rides in on this donkey, do you, do you think he is celebrating along with the crowd, receiving all of this praise? Is he stoic, just plain-faced riding in? Again, Dr. Luke helps us out with this. Luke 19, 41 through 42. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. He's riding 
from, at some point in the journey, we're not sure where, but some point in the two-mile journey between Bethany and Jerusalem, the crowds are surrounding him. They bring him the colt. He, he gets on it, and as, he, as he's coming down the mountain and drawing near to Jerusalem, he begins to weep. In the midst of all the praise, in the midst of all the clamor, in the midst of all the palm branches, in the midst of all the cloaks, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus is weeping because he was coming as the gentle king, and they did not want that. They didn't want the gentle king. They wanted him to be something else. I wonder this morning, church family, if you have an unspoken and unwritten contract with God that you will worship him, you will sing to him, you'll show up to church on Sunday, you might even throw a little money in the plate as it goes by, as long as he will do for you what you want him to. Now, here's how you can know you have that type of unwritten contract. You can know you have that type of unwritten contract with God if when you get mad when he doesn't do what you want him to do. That's how you know you got that contract. And listen to me, God will not abide by that contract. God does not say, worship me, come to church, give money, and I'll do for you what you want me to do. He says, do that because I've already done everything for you in the cross. I've already done everything for you in the cross. So this is the scene that we have. If you're taking notes, God's greatest blessings have most likely been to deny you what you wanted and instead give you what was best. Jesus goes in to set up a forever kingdom. Jesus goes in to defeat the enemy that really needed to be defeated. They wanted Rome defeated, yet what they really needed was for sin and Satan and death to be defeated. They were asking for something that they didn't ultimately need. Yet Jesus says no to them. Jesus tells them no. I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you what you need. And he goes and dies. What we see next in the text is that uh, John paints a portrait of three different groups. The first group is the disciples. The next group, he takes us back to the crowd and talks about them. And the third and final group that we will see is is the Pharisees. Moving on in our text this morning, verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. You ever felt dumb? <laughs> they might, man as as the holy spirit you know he ascends into heaven sends the holy spirit as they're sitting around talking they must have been like we, i i feel like an idiot how about you peter yep a big idiot we should have known he said it tear down this temple and in three days i'm gonna raise it up again we we had no idea what he was talking about I, you know, Jesus told me, he said, I've, I've got to go. I'm going to be arrested. They're going to crucify me. And, and I said, far be it from you, Lord, never. And he called me Satan. I should have seen it coming. They didn't get it. They didn't see it. it. It didn't make any sense to them. And even the disciples did not understand what type of king that he was. 
The disciples could not see what type of king he was. You see, Jesus was a king with no earthly palace. His palace was in heaven. Jesus was a king who had no earthly army, but he commanded legions of angels. He was a king with a crown, but his crown was made of thorns. Jesus was a king who rides a donkey, not on a stallion. He's a king who wins the victory by being killed in battle. That's the type of king he is. It's a different kind of king not the king that they were insisting to be. He was going to be the king who he really was. The next group that John identifies for us is the crowd. Listen to this. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason, this is important, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done the sign. They heard he had done the sign. The signs, plural. I mean, this, this is a guy who can feed multitudes of people. This is a guy who can heal the sick. This is a guy who can bring people back to life. Obvious, and he's Jewish. This guy has got to be our king. Here we go. Let's, let's go and forcibly make him king. Had they not already tried to do that? You remember the feeding of the 5,000? That's exactly what happens at the end of the feeding of the 5,000. He feeds all these people, and because he fed them, they try to forcibly go and make him king. Yet he does not allow them to do so. And again, if you're in any doubt that this is somehow uh, a believing crowd, just, just go to John 12 in the same chapter, verse 37 says this, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Praising his name, singing his praises, but it was all on a contract basis. You do for me and I'll do for you. And listen to me, church family, God will not abide by that contract. If you're taking notes, ask yourself this question. Do you want Jesus because of what he has done for you or for where he can take you according to your own ambitions? Do you want Jesus because he gave his life for you, because he shed his blood for you, because he has atoned for your sins, because he has declared you justified, sanctified, and will ultimately one day declare you glorified? Do you want Jesus for Jesus, or do you want him for what he can do for you? Do you want him to fulfill your earthly ambitions? Do you want him to fix all of your little problems? Or do you love Jesus because he loves you? Because he bled for you? Because he died for you? Or are you looking for Jesus to make your future go the way that you want it to? These are deep heart questions that we need to ask ourselves. We've got to get out of this mindset that Jesus is our lucky rabbit's foot. Jesus is not your lucky rabbit's foot. It's not like there's an issue in your life and you just sprinkle a little Jesus juju on there and it's all going to be better. Jesus calls us to suffer. He calls us to a life of sacrifice. The life that Jesus is calling us to is hard. The life that Jesus is calling us to is selfless. The life that Jesus is calling to is a life of pouring yourself out, of putting others' desires and needs before your own. This is what he is calling us to, church family. 
He's not calling us to a life of ease and comfort and to where every vision that we had of our future comes true. He's calling us to a life of suffering. Though he is calling us to a life of suffering, though he is calling us to empty ourselves out, we also need to know this. If you're taking notes, God's intentions for you are better than the intentions that you have for yourself. Is, is the Christian life hard? Yes. Is it a, is it a call to, to selfless, pouring yourself out, giving yourself? Yes. And that does not mean that we look at ourselves and go, oh, well, you know, I don't matter. I'm just, no, that's not what we're saying at all. God has your best intentions in mind, and he is going to achieve that through suffering, not through comfort. The last group, the Pharisees, verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. They, man, they... They've been trying to jam up Jesus the whole time. They, they, they didn't like what he stood for. They didn't like what he was doing. They, they had their own nice little religious system going on. They were making money. They had respect. It was all going well until Jesus showed up. So they tried to get him killed. They tried to get him arrested. They would go to him with all these little theological nitpicky things and try to get him tripped up. But Jesus did that theological judo and just turn it back right around on them. They, they had been trying so hard to get him and after all the effort, after everything they've done, now they're looking out upon the thousands and thousands and thousands of people singing his praise. So they said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Now what they say next is astonishing. Look, the world has gone after him. <laughs> here's, here's what they meant. They meant the whole Jewish world. Again, it's Passover. They're in the middle of Jerusalem. It's thousands and thousands of Jewish people praising him. They mean the whole Jewish world has gone after him. But here's what is happening beneath the surface. Because God is sovereign over all, because God rules over all, God even rules over the Pharisees as they are speaking this, look, the whole world has gone after him. They are unintentionally prophesying what is true. <laughs> they are unintentionally prophesying what is true because church family, the whole world has gone after him. The, and what is so crazy is what John uh, does for us. Just keep looking down in the text. Look at verse 20. Now among those, okay, they just said the whole world is going after him. Look at verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some who? Were some Greeks. So these came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Here is a picture. Here is this beautiful portrait of what's happening here. There's, there's, this is a Jewish feast, a Jewish celebration in the middle of Jerusalem. You can't get any more Jewish than that. Yet here is these Greeks, these Gentiles, these non-Jews coming and seeking after Jesus right after the Pharisees said, look, the whole world's going after him. The good news for us non-Jewish folk is, is that this happens. We are not here today unless this happens. And if you know anything about the Gospel of John, uh, which who, who was here? Come on, who was here when we went through the Gospel of John? Just a few folks. That was year one when we planted the church. In any event, as we went through the Gospel of John, here's what we saw. Jesus repeatedly keeps saying, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. The first time that he says it is when his, his mom, they're at the, they're at the wedding feest, and, and his, his mom's is like, hey, 
they, they ran out of wine, son. Well, you know, and, and, and he says to her, my time has not yet come. Yet he goes on and turns the water into wine. Y'all know that. But, but just constantly throughout the gospel of John, he's referring to the time of his death. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. If we had time, we'd keep reading the rest of this chapter. But here's what happens. The Pharisees say the whole world has gone after him. Some Greeks show up. They're seeking Jesus. When Jesus hears this, he says, my hour has come. And he goes to the cross, not to just die for the Jewish nation, but to die for all of the nations. So that a, a Scotch-Irish, red-bearded Kirk McDonald could become a follower of Christ. This is the good news. This is the good news that Jesus has for us. Church family, for taking notes, I already said it, write it down twice. Be prepared for your vision of how things should go to be overshadowed by the one who makes a better plan. Get ready, church family. How do we do that? We do that by a couple of ways. First, daily, constantly reminding ourselves that he is trustworthy. You can trust him. When, when he says no, when he closes the door, there, there are so many of us in here this morning, myself included, God has closed the door, yet we're still standing there hanging on to the doorknob trying to get it to open. God said no, leave it alone. Why are you hanging on to what God already said no to? We begin by reminding ourselves that he is trustworthy. We go to the word of God and we read how time and time again he makes promises and he keeps them. That's what God does. We remind ourselves that he has our best interest in mind. So as we walk through suffering, as we go through pain, we remind ourselves of the truth of God's word that he has our best interest in mind. Even though we might not understand the situation, even though we might be in pain, even though it might be hard, Hard, even though whatever is, is the whole world feels like it's crumbling down on us emotionally, spiritually, God is still with us and he still has our best interests in mind. His intentions for us are better than the intentions that we have for ourselves. And we need to get our hearts in a place where we're ready to, as, as we have this thing in our mind, where we're, my life should look like this, I should act, you know, my, my, my marriage should be this way, my finances should be this way, my job should have turned out this way, and God said no to it. We need to go, I'll go wherever you want me to go. If you say no, I'll, I'll, I'll take that no. We begin by reminding ourselves that he is trustworthy. Second, we continue in a community of people that affirms the truth of that word of God. Here's what happens. Oftentimes when God says no, when God closes the door, it causes us to go into a sense of panic, anxiety, depression, and usually panic, anxiety, and depression causes us to do what? Withdraw, to pull back, to not engage with people. Why? Because we had this idea in our mind, we were, we were working towards this goal and God said no to it and now we're totally freaking out and don't know what to do and I don't wanna to talk to nobody, I don't wanna see nobody, I don't wanna be around no people. And so we remove ourselves from the people that would actually affirm the word of God and affirm that God is trustworthy and would affirm that that no is actually for our good. We've got to stick with the word of God and we've got to stick with a community of people that will affirm the word of God. Jesus insists on being who he will be. Amen. There's no changing that. So as we celebrate Palm Sunday together, I want us to keep in mind this picture of Jesus. The picture of Jesus who, 
who rides in and is weeping because they're demanding him to be the king that he is not. Yet he rides in and he goes to the cross knowing that they have called for his arrest, knowing that, that he is going to be beaten, knowing that he is going to be hopped around different courts and, and there's going to be these false charges that are gone against him, he, knowing that he's going to be scourged and ultimately die in our place for us. And so today we celebrate the king, not the king who rode in on the war horse. Today we celebrate the king who is lowly and humble and goes to the cross in our place for our sins. But church family, there is coming a Lord's Day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there, there, is, there is coming a Lord's Day where we will not celebrate the, the king who rode in humbly on a donkey. There, there is coming a Lord's Day morning when the trumpet will sound and the Lord will appear. And he ain't going to be on no small, tiny donkey church family. He is going to be on a white horse. Revelation 19 says this, And then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like the flame of fire. On his head are many diadems, and his name is written that no one knows but himself. Now, I don't know what that means, but it sounds awesome. He's got a name written on himself. He wrote a name on himself and didn't tell nobody what it was. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. When he rode into Jerusalem on, on Palm Sunday, he did not come with a sword, but he is coming with a sword, a sword out of his mouth. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, which to strike down the nations, and he will rule with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That we will celebrate. Today we celebrate the humble, lowly King who goes to die. But one Lord's Day morning coming, we will celebrate the victorious King who rides the white horse. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for those this morning, myself included, who are hanging on to what you've said no to. Lord, send your spirit now to release them from that. Send your spirit now to do a mighty work in their life. Lord, help me. Lord, help me to be more flexible. Lord, help me to be more prayerful, to constantly look to you and say, wherever you want me to go, Lord, I'll go. Lord, help me to see when the door's been closed. Help me to hear when the answer is no. Help me to trust that you have my best intentions in mind. Lord, I pray for Gospel Community Church that we would be a people that trust your plan over our own. Lord, get ourselves out of our own way and help us to follow you. Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. We look forward to the day when we will celebrate the risen Lord who comes victorious on the white horse. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this.
At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.